Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back. Another episode of London is Blue podcast, quarantine edition. That's right, three episodes this week again. My name is Brandon. Joining me, as always, are Nick and Dan... Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't viewed these on YouTube, they are there. If you want to see us laugh at each other, at us cringe in real time when someone says something ridiculous, you can do that. Links are on the social media channels. Uh, but this one is going to be exciting. So while there's a lot in the air, starting to get some season and reviews out because, well, we'll kind of see what happens. As of today, I believe is a Brighton Hove Albion player uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. So we'll see how this Premier League restart project goes. So instead of continuing down that path of dark, scary, unknowing circumstances, we brought Phil from at Chelsea Youth back on the podcast to shine some light, talk about some positives, uh, some teams, Phil, that have really, you know, kind of like we talked about the women's team recently, uh, just doing really well, scoring a lot of goals, winning a lot of games. So we think this one will be a little bit more fun uh, to talk about. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Both the under-18s and the under-23 development squad had really good years, and it's disappointing that the campaign came to an end earlier than anyone wanted. They were all set up to bring even more silverware back to the academy, but 
there are bigger things going on right now, understandably. So we can celebrate their success and look forward to a bunch of really good players coming through in the years to come. Absolutely. All right. Well, Dan, in part one, we're going to look at the U23s, right? I think that's probably, we'll start at the, the, the elder ages and work our way down to the U18s and then have a bigger discussion in part three. So U23s, what, where should we start with, with this team? this squad i think the first place you should start so if you don't know phil also writes about these things too and so the nice thing is you can accompany this conversation we're having today with a academy overview write-up that he has on the chels.net we'll send out the link that too but i i think the way to start it off is there's a sentence in that phil that you wrote we're saying a squad that by season's end, featured a bunch of 17-year-olds who hadn't even completed a full season in Saturday morning youth team football. So I think that's probably the way I'd like to frame up and just ask, you know, from your perspective, how good was this side of U23s, particularly as several of them that started the season kind of thinking about U23s like Billy Gilmore and, you know, Tino Andrin, uh ended up actually making their way into Chelsea's first team in some capacity. I think it's really hard for any team that young to do well in Premier League 2. It's such a disparate league. You'll have some teams where the average age is 20. A lot of teams will... Uh, they're aging towards the younger players, obviously, but they'll bring in first teamers, p- players who aren't getting the minutes in the senior squad to sort of fill it out. And Chelsea have led the way in the last few years of making the under-23 team much younger. And with that comes fluctuating performance. They tended to finish in mid-table most of the seasons. But this year, not only were they top when the league was cancelled, they were unbeaten. They'd been 18 out of 22 games unbeaten. And seemingly every week especially after Christmas they were losing a player for some reason so they had no other choice but to bring in someone like Lewis Bate or Tino Livramento or Xavier Simons who were all 16 or 17 at the time and they just kept churning and churning and churning and by way of comparison Manchester City are fairly similar in the way they approach it they're not quite as young but they're they're there or thereabouts and they were battling against relegation for most of the season so for these boys to come in and within the space of a season go from new first-year scholars to playing a meaningful role in a title-challenging team at under-23 level is a fairly incredible achievement. So we, we looked at this, and we've had a couple of stops along the way this year, right, kind of talking about these teams, talking about their development. We looked at you know the U23s as a place for you know kind of a, a no-man's land, if you, were, if you will, where you know it's players who haven't quite gone out on loan or haven't, you know, kind of found a permanent home or, you know, are kind of coming up through the ranks. So how different will this side of, of primarily young players be next year? Because I mean, obviously the season's kind of been, been called to a halt, but how different do you think it'll be? Usually the, um, the squad will lose somewhere between six or 10 players year on year. Some players will be out of contract and leave or they'll find new clubs. Some will be promoted into the first team squad, but most of them will go out on loan. And we don't know when next season will start, what the off season will look like. But if we take it at face value, that's going to happen again. You you saw Charlie Brown, George McEachern and Mark Gurhey go out on loan in January. It stands to reason that when football resumes, they'll finish. The, uh, Charlie's um, Charlie and George are on loan in Belgium and Holland. Those seasons are done. But when football comes back, they'll go out and loan again. Uh, Tino Angerin and Ian Martson, they're in that position where 
they're ready for more football, whether that's first team football at Chelsea or alone somewhere else remains to be seen. So that's five of this squad already. And then you throw in a couple of players who've got contracts that are expiring. We don't know if they'll stay or not, but a good couple of them are more likely to leave than not. You lose that six to eight players again. And you turn to the younger guys who've come in this year to then become the core of next year's squad. A lot of rotation recycle, obviously much more. We, we've talked about this thing a little bit the first time Aaron fills it. The line, the, the lineup and the players available at, at their hands is so much less in control. You know, we've seen Rudiger, Batshuayi, Callum Hudson-Odoi, many players come down and essentially they get priority, understandably so. And then to your point... Uh, yeah, we're going to play Grinsby Town. We'll take about six of your players for this one. <laughs> Great. Good luck midweek. Uh, we still expect you to win. The typical boss thing, right? Like your manager takes all your resources and says, still looking forward to you uh, knocking out all these objectives. Great. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, although this season it would have been done in a more cordial manner because there's so much academy connection between Lampard, Jody Morris, Joe Edwards, and the first team staff and Neil Bath and all of the academy staff on the other. So they will have worked those plans out sometime in advance, whereas under previous first team managers, you would have had, uh, there's a good example of early in Maurizio Sarri's reign, he wanted Tammy Abraham and Callum Hudson-Odoi to play for the under-23s. This was before Tammy had gone out on loan to Aston Villa, really early in the season. Wanted them to play for the development squad, but in the positions that he was wanting them to play for the first team, which meant that the development squad had to change their entire philosophy for that one match. They'd gone through the entire preseason playing a 3-5-2. It suited their group. It suited the distribution of players they had. But when Tammy and Cal came down for one game, they had to go and play the 4-3-3. And it didn't really sit well with the academy. They'd come in, just say, can you do this for us without too much of a conversation? So you fast forward 12 months and it's, it's like night and day. The academy and first team are, as Tino Andrian said, it feels like one club. So that sort of communication helps the development squad prepare for the fixtures and they know who they're going to lose ahead of time. They're able to make adjustments. And I think the fact that they were unbeaten after 18 games is testament to that. All right. Well, as we as we look at this roster and we talk about the shuffling that we've had and, and the, you know, kind of the the youthful side of a youth squad, which I know is a little uh, repetitive, but, but to your point, um, you know, on purpose, who do you think has taken the biggest leap, in your opinion, from, I know we talked about some of the who should we watch kind of in the fall when we talked. All right, we've had most of the season. Again, who do you think has made the biggest leap in this team? And obviously, if you want to pick a couple, we're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> the biggest leap has to be Armando Broger, doesn't it? He A year ago, he was the backup under-18 striker to George Nunn. He wasn't playing. He scored two goals in the whole season. So he, he's gone through, we know his story now, he's had a very prolific academy year and made his debut in the last meaningful football that we saw at Stamford Bridge. And he, he's only made four starts for the development squad. So yes, there were some favourable circumstances that led to him getting on against Everton. But to go through that journey in over a year is is unlikely. It, it doesn't happen very often to go from under-18 football through to the first team. And he's, he keeps ticking every box. He's done really, really well. What about like uh, Tino Andrin, for example, a guy who's who's rumoured, although not officially confirmed to my knowledge, to, to have signed a new contract. Um, someone who physically, I mean, and I think in your articles, another re uh, reason that people should go read your articles is you've linked out to the 
every goal scored Chelsea videos uh, for each level, uh, which was a phenomenal 30 or 40 minutes of my time yesterday as I was as I was preparing for this um, because there are that many goals. But um, but it you know it's not fair for Tino Andrin to be at the U18 or U23 level physically. Like he's just a different class. So is he a guy that you think has has taken a big leap this year, or has he kind of gone through hot and cold spells? Uh, he's taken a big leap. If if Bro just taken the big leap, then Andrin's simply been the best player. He's just this transcendent talent that like you say he he looks like he belongs at a higher level physically but he also plays to that for the most part there were a little bit of a, a down spell in november but he has injury problems that, that hopefully he's over the worst of them but there there's been back issues similar to loft chic in the way that if you grow quite a lot quite young it takes you a little time to get accustomed to your body again but he's he's he, nine goals in the pl2 second most assists in the team and it, it's more than just the goals and assists he, he takes responsibility he drives the team forward and he says yeah look I am the best player in this team I'm ready to move on give me that opportunity so if you were prescribing maybe as like a little bit of a look ahead as what the next step is for for a Tino for a Brogia, you know would it be staying in the first team and getting rotation because at least under Frank Lampard and Jody Morris, we know that you can be a young player and it's a meritocracy and not necessarily the name on the back of the shirt. Or do you think either of them are better poised for some type of loan situation? You know, just assuming that things stay relatively similar to what we think, how they operate currently, because I don't want to get, you know, make you thought exercise how things might be different. I'm always inclined to say, keep the player at the club bring him into the first team and dole out the appearances, just increase them slowly over the course of 6, 12, 18 months. Andrin's a lot closer to deserving that than Broja because Broja's ascent, as we just said, has gone so far so quickly that I think he he in particular would benefit from another full season, at least a half season under 23 level, getting regular starts, showing that he can perform week in, week out at that level, playing in the League Cups, getting off the bench here and there, who is the fourth striker you can have him as the third striker if you want but it depends who your one and two are Andrin's a lot closer to being able to make an impact but again if the pathway's blocked if you've got Mount ahead of him if you've got Loftus-Cheek back and fit ahead of him if you've got Hakim Ziyech coming in and the minutes aren't there for him then by all means get him out get him playing 30 or 40 games a season somewhere in the championship or a lower Premier League club somewhere where you, you know he's going to play he's going to be challenged and then see what he comes back and does a year later. There's nothing wrong with the loan system. We've seen that Abraham's been through it. We've seen that Mount's been through it. Going out and getting at least a season, it's fine. The problem has always been the transition back. So, and and knowing another one of these players has kind of made a couple of appearances this year, Ian Motson is kind of in that similar vein, right? Although maybe not as advanced uh, in his in his first team capabilities as, as maybe Tino would be. Is he a guy that you think... You know, not only deserves the the call up, you know, especially if Chelsea are able to uh, to make moves at left back in, in the summer. But see a guy that you think would benefit from the occasional first team appearance, or is or is someone who really needs to play more consistent football to kind of reach his overall potential left back. I think everyone can benefit from first team football, but in Martin's case, I would like to see him go on loan. I think it would iron out some of the inconsistencies in his game and also help him to nail down a definitive position. Because while we all know him as a left back or a left wing back at Chelsea, he's also, for, for the Netherlands, he plays in central midfield. 
and he does so extremely accomplishedly. He's he's been very good there. He the the under seventeen team he was part of won the uh, under seventeen Euros. He went to the World Cup. He's played through the midfield for all of that age group, and it might be that he becomes a cultured central midfielder if he finds his pathway uh, blocked at le- uh, left back for Chelsea. But either way, if you give him an error of his loan, Castillo's gone to Ajax. I don't think he's coming back. So he's the next left back in the pipeline. If you give him a season, maybe two seasons, because he's still pretty young. He's only February 2002. Um, I don't think there's any need to rush him along. He's he's not at the level where you want to put him in as backup to a Ben Chilwell or somebody else at Chelsea and say, right, you're going to get a few minutes here or there. He needs to go out and really work on his craft a little bit more. Nothing wrong with it. Come back a couple of years' time and say, right, I'm ready for this now. Brandon, we need our fullbacks to stay at fullback and not play central midfield. <laughs> this is this is a trend that's developing now. Well, so I was listening to the Peter Crouch podcast, and they had Andy Robertson on. And they said that Trent Alexander-Arnold is, like, Ben almost playing, like, training as a fullback and as a central midfielder as well, um, trying to figure out how that dynamic works. So that might be, like, the new meta is you take a super, I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, they seem wildly different, but uh, maybe Ian Matson's already ahead of the curve and, and we're all just playing catch-up. Yeah, it, it depends on the sort of player you are. Um, Alexander-Arnold played in central midfield for Liverpool up until the age of 16 or so. Not that he couldn't play out wide, but he played a lot in central midfield as well. Reese James did it at Chelsea. He was mostly a central midfielder until the age of 14 or 15. Then he started moving out to the right. And as we saw in the second half of his year at Wigan, they moved him into central midfield because they had problems there and he was one of the best midfielders in the league. If you're technically accomplished, you can pull it off. Yeah, well, I mean, that that is part of it as well. And I think that's probably a good reminder that most of these professionals have played multiple positions in their career and it's just where's the need in the team or the opportunity at that moment and did they seize it? Uh, so we'll have to see. Who do, who do you... So if, if Billy Gilmore and... Broja slash Andrin have kind of been the the breakthroughs and the ones that we are really expecting to obviously Billy I mean he's pushing to start matches so I, he's probably a little bit removed but maybe that Broja Andrin level do you feel like there's a a dark horse or a long shot of someone who's maybe flying under the radar that you're like hey a couple performances and this person is going to be just bursting through the scene and pushing to get uh, training with the first team? If we'd have asked the same question in January, which we probably did, um, it would have been Henry Lawrence at the time, but I don't think he's necessarily flying below the radar anymore because the longer the youth cut run went on, the more people could see that he was a really useful asset to that team, a really high quality player who you can plug into any number of positions. Let's a young James Milner for want of a better comparison you can plug Milner in in central midfield at fullback or whatever and know that you're going to get a very competent performance from him Lawrence has been doing that this season and if he carries that into next season the the the, the first team staff will look at him and say yeah he's not going to let us down we can use him for a bit and say we feel safe with him out there the real underdog looking at the squad someone like Daniel Simeu perhaps the big he's a big 18 year old centre half who's come on really, really well this year. He's 
taken a little bit of time to sort of find himself. Um, what is he as a centre half? Is he a big, powerful one? Is he a ball player? He's, tr- he's starting to work it out. He's got a very good first step out of defence. He knows what he's doing with the ball. He's, he, he uses the ball well. He's a good passer, but you can't teach that sort of athleticism that he's got as well. And if he puts it all together, a, a decent run of form, you can see him knocking on the door and getting an opportunity. So he's one, Dan, that as you're watching both of the goal wrap-ups for the year, it it strikes me because when, when the first team puts out the, the goal wrap-ups, usually they, the move starts in midfield and, and it kind of works its way into goal. The youth team set up, like there were probably... 20% of the chances that were created started with Simu's stepping out of defense, making a bit of a run forward, and then making a really key pass or or making a move that, that would help the team kind of advance the ball. He's a guy that stood out to me. I was like, Who, what what is going on here? The the athleticism was very noticeable. So, Phil, I'm glad you called that out. But he, he certainly stood out as, as a guy. I was like, wow, that's impressive yeah and we know that Marga he's going to be playing on loans next season it might well be Swansea again that he's when he left in January opened the door for Simu to get more playing time he's going to be one of the core anchors for the team next season and I can only see him going from strength to strength yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah I would love that I mean anytime you know just get like these center backs coming through um I, you know, it's a, it's an area of focus for the team right now too, and obviously, I think it's it's harder to be a young center back making that jump. I think loans are are much more important in the center back position um, because you got to learn the dark arts, right? You got you got to learn how to. Yeah, definitely, that's something that Eddie Newton has always spoken about about being one of the most valuable aspects of going on loan. You and he uses the term the dark arts. You have to learn that football on the pitch isn't always nice. You've got to go out there and, and fight for it. Dan, it also, uh, I'll, I'll transition this to you because I know we're going to move on to the next question, but there, you know, as, as you're looking at the U23 football, there were times where it just looked too easy. <laughs> and a lot of these players have to, they're, they're going to, when they go out on loan, they're going to have to definitely bulk up some of them. They're going to have to learn the dark arts. They're going to have to learn that football is, is probably a nil-nil draw away at Stoke or whatever uh, in the championship. <laughs> So it it just strikes me that the goals that were scored were oftentimes so beautiful and such easy moves that a lot of these players are going to find trouble and and good trouble because they're going to have to grow from it in the next stage. And that makes a lot of sense. And you know, I think as we we look ahead to next season, you know, we've talked about a couple of players who who go on loan. We talked about a couple of players who maybe continue playing at the U twenty three level. Uh, we talked about some people that you know are, are pushing on, you know, pushing potentially on where the the ceiling is currently to find the next phase of their game. Who who would you say is maybe going to be the anchor of this team heading into to next season? Is there a player you think probably spends the whole year in U twenty three, maybe gets some first team opportunities, but really maybe captains the side or is kind of the the person that. Yeah, Andy Myers and kind of his coaching staff will be looking to to kind of really help you know gel the team. I think it'll be the guys we've talked about uh, so far. It'll be Henry Lawrence, Daniel Simeu, Armando Broja. If if they stay with the team for the whole year, they'll be leading the way. Is whether you use use Lawrence at fullback or in midfield, that gives you a spine to work with and to to build around. You you've had Tiana Ballo step up a bit earlier this year. He'll play the full season with them next year. Marcel Lewis has come up. A, a little bit this season he split his time between the 18s and 23s he'll be too old for the 18s next year so he'll come up full time and then you start to have that core of five or six that you can 
rely on from week to week and play around with who joins them, uh, mostly in the wide position, because these guys are all central players who will give the team some reliability and a presence. And then for the last one, I mean, if crazy prediction, but again, player of the season for next season. That's a big one. Um, if Broger sticks around and performs as well as he can, then I'd make him favourite because goals win matches, goals c- capture the attention. There's uh, Anjurin's this year's player of the season because he's made the difference uh, in front of goal. Uh, if Broger gets the goals next year, it'll be him. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that it's been really good to see the confidence in the players want to stay at the U23s rather than maybe leave early to go on loan. And I think that's what we've seen. And, you know, with Chelsea, you know, at top of the table um, on 38 points of Leicester on 35 and, and having uh, 10 wins, eight draws and zero losses this season, 34 goals, four goals against 20. That all comes together not only with fantastic youth players, Phil, but Andy Myers and his staff. And obviously it was his first year. I know you talked about this in your article. He had to learn. He had to adapt, just like these players. Um, how how would you grade Andy Myers' season, first season in charge of, of the U23s? How'd they do? He did really well. Um, I think I, I said it in one of the season previews. Maybe the club felt it was a step slightly too soon, but one they, they were willing to go with and say, right, we do trust you. It's going to be a learning season. But that's why they. I think that's why they brought Eric Ramsey in from Shrewsbury Town. He's a UEFA Pro license holder, a very accomplished young coach in his own right. So you had Myers, John Harley, and Eric Ramsey leading the team this year, and you saw the the improvements in them as the season went on. A lot of the the games they, I think I said they were two 0 down three times in the first couple of months of the season, and they came back and rescued a draw in those games. They came from behind more often than not to get a result and to stay unbeaten. And mostly that was because you could see they were working out where they needed to make in-game adjustments, find their way through the match, figure out what they've got available, and then make the changes to get the result. And you can look at it two ways. You can say, right, why didn't you see that in the first place? If you if you make those changes earlier, or if you start with the right team, then you win. But this, that's not how football works. The other team are good as well. So I think for the most part, you, you'd be really, really happy with their season's work. And the only thing that stops it being an A or an A plus is the disappointing UEFA Youth League campaign. Well, let's let's talk about that, right? I mean, it's obviously the first time in five and or six years, as you denoted in your article, that uh, Chelsea didn't advance, um, you know, kind of to a more prolific stage, you know, final, semifinal of, of that competition. They went out in the group stages after some pretty disappointing uh, performances. So n- knowing that that UEFA Youth League is is really kind of stepping up in competition, wh- what, is, what does Andy Myers and his team need to do differently next season uh, to kind of avoid the same fate? They have to learn from the mistakes they made this year. They There were individual errors, which you can't always legislate for, those cost points. They were on top at times in matches and they didn't take advantage of it. They didn't take the chances, especially Lille away. They conceded a goal at either end of the of each half and lost two 0 But for, they they battered them, and just and it didn't score. They hit the post. They they missed glaring opportunities, and you know the the fine the fine margins are even finer in European football. 
they were they were extremely fortunate. They had two matches against Ajax, um, and they won in Amsterdam. They drew back at Cobham. But Ajax's entire starting eleven were away at the Under-17 World Cup, so it could have looked even worse for them had they played a full-strength Ajax team. So success isn't guaranteed. It'll be a learning opportunity for everybody that after four consecutive final appearances, they were they were turfed out of the group stage. Um, it's it's chastening, it's humbling, but I think it's there's the cliche for a reason. You learn more in defeat than in victory sometimes. Again, a lot of change with this team, right? The new approach with younger players, a new staff. Um, you know, his first time being in that situation, and we all know that European football is much different from domestic football as well. So, you know, again, if we can still summarize it and say, hey, he's done really well in his first season. All right, you know, put top of the league, you know, ready to, to bring home silverware. Uh, you know, I guess we can give him the pass on not bringing home the double right away. But next season, all right, year two, Andy, we're looking at we're looking at the double, the domestic and the European cups. But um, anyways, that'll wrap us up on the U23s. Thank you so much, Phil. Uh, next episode, because we're going to be doing the U18s. So plenty to talk about in that one as well um but again check out phil links in the description to his accounts and his article that recap the u23 season and uh yeah thanks phil we'll, we'll be back for part two uh later this week so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high